Amen. Let's just give him another wonderful round of applause. That was just outstanding. The worship was amazing. Well, good morning, church. So good to be with you today. And a very Merry Christmas to you all. And of course, we extend uh, Merry Christmas from um, Pastor Abe and Pastor Lily. And they send their love to you this morning. They are missing church. They're missing all of you. They're missing the family here in Bradford. So they extend their wishes to you. They extend their love to you. And, um, and they're looking forward to being back soon. Amen. Well, I'm glad that there are no children in the service, apart from Matthew, maybe, um, uh, Theo, um, because I've titled this morning's message, um, Santa ain't coming to town, but Jesus is. <laughs> Amen. Santa ain't coming to town, but Jesus is. This is the Christmas season. And we're all dressed up this morning. Everyone's got beautiful smiles. And it's such a blessing to me to be here this morning. This church is decorated. The homes are decorated. You can smell the bread baking in the streets. It's a beautiful and exciting time, Christmas time. Children look bug-eyed at the gifts under the Christmas tree. And it's Christmas and everyone is happy. Isn't that right? But no, there's one person that is not happy. He is very angry that it's Christmas. And he's like Ebenezer Scrooge or the Grinch that tried to steal Christmas. But he's not a fictional character. He'd prefer if the whole thing would just go away. But he's not a make-believe character. He's not fictional. He is for real. He hates Christmas. And he is never even heard the word Christmas. He is the man that history calls Herod the Great, King Herod the Great. And his story is told in the book of Matthew chapter 2. Allow me to set the scene for you this morning. We read about the man who tried to steal Christmas. If you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 and we'll read till 11. It says, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, uh, Judea, in those days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Verse 5, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet. Verse 6, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Verse 8, and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have come, uh, when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star 
uh, that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly and with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and fell and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now this morning, I want to share with us, uh, share with us the story of a man who tried to steal Christmas. And he tried to kill the Christ of God. And it seems strange and bizarre. And this story doesn't seem to fit appropriately in the scheme of this wonderful Christmas season. It doesn't sound right amid the Christmas carols. It doesn't look right amidst the sparkling lights and the candy canes and the Christmas trees and all the wonderful, beautiful things that happen and take place in the Christmas season. It takes a away the joy and it leaves only sadness after all tis the season to be jolly and joy to the world let me tell you a little bit about who herod was and how he fits into the scheme of this story herod is known as herod the great it's important to understand he was a man of great bloodshed he was evil his heart was full of hatred. He had no regard for God's law or for the people of God. In fact, he had no regard for human life whatsoever. To give some background, in the year 47 BC, Herod the Great is only 25 years old, and he has been named governor of Galilee. And one of the first things he does is he captures a bandit leader by the name of Ezekias, and he has him executed. And this really upset the Romans, uh, sorry, it, it really pleased the Romans, but it greatly upset the Jews because it upset the Jews because it showed that Herod disregarded the Jewish law of the time. He had no regard and no respect for the Jewish people, for the Jewish law. Ezekias would have had a fair try in court amongst the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders if he had adhered to the Jewish law of the time. But Herod just disregarded that and killed Ezekias. And the Romans were happy about this, but the Jews were greatly upset. And so in order to pacify the Jewish people, Herod married into a leading Jewish family. They were known as the Hasmoneans. And he married a woman by the name of Princess Miriam to try and pacify the Jews, but this did not work. The next event that took place in the year 40 BC, the Roman Senate, they were very influential among the Jewish leaders of the time. He, uh, Herod organized that they would knight him and give him the name King of the Jews. This was the title that the Roman Senate had given to King Herod. He was now given this title, Herod the Great, King of the Jews. And this was a title that the Jewish leaders were still so upset about. They were angry about this title for two reasons. Number one, he was not a Jew by birth. And number two, he was not a Jew by religion. He was a cruel, cruel man. 
and he held tightly to the reins of power, and he brutally removed anyone that stood in his way. He killed hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people in his lifetime, in 41 years of reigning as king. And over the years, he killed his family members, those dearest to him. He killed his brother-in-law, his mother-in-law, his own wife. Herod the Great was a killer. This was his nature. He killed out of spite and he killed to stay in power. As I mentioned earlier, human life meant nothing to Herod. In fact, the great historian Josephus, Josephus called him barbaric. Another historical writer, writer called Herod the Great, the great pervert. But perhaps his basic character and his nature can be seen through an incident that took place in the year 7 BC. Herod is now a very old man. He had been reigning for 41 years. He doesn't have much longer to live. But word comes around that his two sons are plotting to kill him, are plotting to overthrow him. And they are the two sons of his late wife, Miriam. And so he's, he orders for his two sons to be put to death by strangling. And this is actually the reason why Caesar Augustus, he said it is safer to be Herod's pig than it is to be his own sons. How evil is that? And do you know why? Because they wouldn't kill pigs in the Jewish land because they were an unclean animal. It was safer to be an unclean animal than it was to be his own son. <coughs> And so we understand Herod was an evil man. He killed his wife, his mother-in-law, his brother-in-law, his two sons, amidst hundreds of other people. Killing is what he did best. Now it's about two or three years later, Herod the Great, king of the Jews, is slowly dying. Josephus, uh, that historian I was speaking about earlier, he describes a type of disease that King Herod contracted. It was a type of foul distemper. His body would shake with convulsions. He had foul breath. He had sores all over his body, all over his skin, and he was rapidly losing his mind. But one thing remained the same. He was still the king. King Herod was still the king. Now, one day word comes to him in Jerusalem that some visitors had arrived from the Middle East and they are strange men and they have come with a very strange question. They are the Magi, the wise men, and they practiced astrology. In fact, in Persia, they were considered to be very powerful men and they had journeyed through the desert seeking to have an interview with King Herod. And when King Herod met these met the magi he wasn't interested in who they were how far they had traveled or the kind of clothes that they were wearing the type of gifts that they had bought he was interested in the question that they had to ask him in matthew chapter 2 verse 2 we see here that the wise men ask to king herod king of the jews they ask him where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Church, can you imagine? 
that here is this murderous king who has been reigning for 41 years. He's gone through all these trials and this trouble and this bloodshed to have this title, king of the Jews. And these wise men, these strange men from the east come and they ask the question, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now, there are a few mysteries about this. Who precisely are the wise men? We don't know. Where did they come from? We don't know. What was the star in the sky? We also don't know. Herod didn't know either. But one thing was for sure. He better discover and find out what is happening and what is taking place. And he better do that very quickly. They were looking for someone who was called, who was born king of the Jews. How could that be? Herod was the king of the Jews. But he wasn't born that way. He had to kill. He had to murder. There was bloodshed. There was blood in his hands to have gained this title, King of the Jews. What are these men talking about? What are these men talking about? And so the Bible says in verse 3, that when Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Herod became Disturbed. And the word disturbed in this context means to shake violently. And no wonder why he was greatly disturbed, because finally King Herod had killed all of his enemies. Finally, Herod had, had subdued, subdued all of his foes. Finally, he was ready to die in peace. He was ready to die in victory. He was ready to die triumphantly. But these strangers have now come with a strange question. And no, there is no time to rest for King Herod. There is still one more person to kill. <clears throat> and I think I know why Herod shook violently. It's because... He understood and knew that the Jews were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for one that God would send from heaven to save them and to reign as king. But not being a particularly religious man, I'm sure that King Herod didn't pay too much attention to what these wise men had to say. But on the other hand, why take the chance anyway? And this explains what he does next. In verse 4, we read that Herod called together the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he asked them where he was to be born. And when Herod asked the scribes and the chief priests, where is the Savior to be born? They know the answer. Now, church, just keep this in mind because I'm going to make reference back to the scribes at the end of the message today. But the scribes know the truth. They know the facts. They know where Jesus was to be born. They replied, uh, verse 4 to 6, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means among the rulers of Judah. For out of you are no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Suddenly, Things are getting really serious for King Herod. Maybe these strangers are onto something. Maybe this is the Messiah of God. Maybe this is the Christ of God. What if he has been sent from heaven? What if he is going to be born? What if, what if all these questions flooded 
Herod's heart and his mind. Herod may be many things, but he isn't stupid. It was time to move fast. These wise men came and they asked the question, where is the one to be born king of the Jews? The scribes confirmed the Old Testament prophecy. Here's the, the prediction that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. No wonder why King Herod was shaken up. He must stop this crazy act of God before it takes place. He needs to do something about this mysterious child. Would a man really try and kill the Christ of God? Yes, Herod tried to kill the Christ of God. See, all tyrants are cowards at heart because they rule by force. And the only thing that they are most afraid of is a force that is greater than their own. If the Messiah had come, then it means that Herod is ruling in opposition to God himself. And so he needs to do something about this baby. He needs to kill this baby and needs, he needs to do it immediately, urgently. And so Herod hatched a clever plot and we pick up the story in verse 7, verse 7 to 8, it says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As, you so as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now we may read this and ask three questions to ourselves. Why did the wise men not wise up to Herod's trick? Why were they not able to discern if they were wise men, the, the, the state of Herod's heart? Well, let me say that they were wise men from Persia. They had no reason to suspect his motives. The second question we might ask is, why did Herod not send some of his troops into Bethlehem? The reason might be because this would have attracted too much attention. Finally, we might ask ourselves the good question. A good question. If Herod was so concerned, then why didn't he go and see for himself in Bethlehem whether this child was there or not? And this is a good question. Can I have some water, please? This is a good question. Why did Herod not go? And the reason is because he did not want to come face to face with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He did not want to come face to face with the king that had been sent from heaven above. This would be all too much for King Herod. And so King Herod, he did not go himself. He did not send soldiers. He sent the wise men instead. I'm feeling a little bit under the weather today, so please forgive me. And so off they went. And we know the rest of the story. The star miraculously reappeared and it led the wise men to the exact house where baby Jesus was to be born. And when they found baby Jesus, they proved themselves worthy of their name as wise men. When they found Jesus, they bowed down and they worshipped him. They offered him gold, frankincense and myrrh. The Magi knew something that King Herod would never know. That this baby boy... In this tiny house, wrapped in all these rags, would someday be the ruler of the world. 
He would be the ruler of the world. And they were not ashamed to give him gifts that were fit for a king. As Danny mentioned earlier, he was only about one to two years old in this time. And they were not ashamed to give him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They saw him for who he really was, Christ, the Son of God. Now, just before the Magi step off center stage and drift into the twilight of history, we are told one last fact about them in verse 12. It says, the Bible says, verse 12, Matthew 2, 12. It says, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. The Magi went east. Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus went west to Egypt. And soon Bethlehem was as it had always been, a sleepy country village. Meanwhile, back home in the, in the palace, Herod rubs his hands together in glee. How stupid those foreigners are to fall for an old trick like that. What fools they are. But Herod, you are the fool. The wise men are, God, are gone and so is the child. Your plan has boomeranged. You thought you would be able to get them to do the dirty work, but God thought otherwise. The, babe, the, the Bible says that when Herod realized that he had been tricked by the wise men, that he became outraged. He was enraged. Why was he enraged? Why was he so upset? Let me tell you why. Because the trickster had been tricked. The con man had been conned, and the liar had been double-crossed. We now see who the wise men are and who the fool really is. Before I tell you what happens next, it's really important to keep a couple of facts in mind. Number one, Herod is very old and sick. He is slowly dying, and he's losing control of his kingdom. He is angry over being deceived by the Magi, and he must still do something about this mysterious baby. In short, King Herod is out of his mind with rage, with frustration, with pain and fear. He is insanely jealous. He is a killer by nature. Let's not forget that. And all the worst instincts of a lifetime of cruelty are now rising to the surface. Keep all of this in mind, because this is the only way to understand and comprehend what Herod does next. This next event is known in the history of the church as the slaughter of the innocents. After 2,000 years, we remember Herod for this one single act, described in verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. He lost his mind and he did something worthy of Hitler or Stalin. He ordered the cold-blooded murder of all baby boys under the age of two years old in the land of Bethlehem. Can you just imagine the scene that there are soldiers on death squad breaking into Bethlehem in the dead of night? 
taking these young baby boys, covering their faces with cloth as their mothers were on their knees begging for mercy. These soldiers had orders. They broke into Bethlehem in the dead of night, killing children all night long. They did not miss one. They did their job well. By the time the morning had come, the slaughter was over. The soldiers were gone and the babies were dead. And over the town of Bethlehem, we hear the cry of mourning, of weeping, the screams of loss, the cries of mothers who refuse to be comforted. Their children are no more. Can Herod really have performed such a gruesome act? And I tell you, church, this morning that this act is consistent with everything we know about the nature of Herod the Great. Killing is how he stayed on top for 41 years of his life. And there's no reason to think he wouldn't do something this vile. Back in Jerusalem, Herod hears the news. He hears the news that all the, the children have been dead. He hears that all the babies are dead. He can finally rest. He has finally killed his last foe. He's finally killed his last enemy. And the Bible concludes the story by noting the death of Herod in verse 19. Josephus, the historian, actually tells us that there were maggots that were eating away part of his body before he had even died. What a cruel, horrible man this was. He died in agony. He died tormented. And he died delirious. When he died, well, and worst of all, he died not knowing the Christ. He died not honoring the Savior. He died not having submitted his life to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He died being the king of his own life. And when he died, they buried his body in a grave that wasn't far from Bethlehem. And not long after that, we have Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. They returned from Egypt, and they settled in the Galilean village of Nazareth. The man who tried to kill Christmas, the man who tried to kill Christ, almost did, but he didn't. Herod the Great, he slaughtered the infants of Bethlehem, but he did not kill the one that mattered the most. Herod killed thousands and thousands in his lifetime, but he did not kill the baby boy, the most important person of all, the Christ of God. Amen. And so although Herod is the leading character in this tragic, dramatic drama, alongside him we have the wise men and we also have the scribes of Jerusalem. And I've said this whole story, this message, to get to this part. That there are three ways that people look at Jesus. There are three worldviews, three lenses through which people acknowledge Jesus. And also view Christmas. The first lens is through a lens of hostility. And that is Herod. Herod stands as a symbol for the kind of world that Jesus entered into. Herod represents the world's welcome committee for the Son of God. 
It's not as we thought it would be. It's not as we expected it would be, is it? Jesus was born into the world, and the rulers tried to kill him. In fact, the Bible says in John 1 verse 11, it says that Jesus came to who was his own, but they did not receive him. King Herod stands for the bloodthirsty, cruel, vindictive side of the world system. A world where human life is cheap. A world where killing is accepted. It's even expected. Herod died just over 2,000 years ago. But the spirit of Herod still lives on. To this day, there are still those who are offended by Jesus. They are offended by the mere mention of his name. They are offended by the worship of the saints. They are offended by prayer in the public square. They are offended and they oppose spiritual truth. And they try their hardest to erase every aspect of Christianity. They try to remove prayer in the schools, in the workplace. And you know what church? Herod would be proud of them. Herod would be proud of such people. The second lens is viewing Jesus through a lens of indifference. The definition of indifference, a definition is the quality of not caring about or being interested in something or someone. And the scribes represent the religiously indifferent. They are the insiders. They know the truth. They know all the facts, but they did nothing about it. They did not care enough to get excited. Remember when Herod asked the scribes and he gathered the religious leaders and the Pharisees and he asked them, where is Jesus to be born? They knew the answer. They knew where he was to be born. They told him where to look, but they didn't care enough to investigate for themselves. Church, did you know that Bethlehem was only six miles away from where the Pharisees were? Six miles. And even six miles was still too far for these Pharisees and religious scribes to go and see for themselves. It was all academic to them. It was in their minds. I hope you have a nice trip, wise men. Let us know if you find the Messiah. Let us know if he is there. The scribes should have been singing. They should have been rejoicing. They should have been dancing because the Messiah had come. But instead, they ignored his birth. Who looks worse, church? Herod or the scribes? Because Herod, despite all of his excess, uh, excess, describe all the murders and everything that took place over the 41 years of his reign, at least he is consistent with his nature. But by contrast, here we have these scribes that know, the religious people that know, and they know the truth, but they did nothing about it. The scribes are worse. The third lens is a lens of worship. And this is the final group that we have on stage. We have the wise men who, when they found Jesus the Christ, they bowed down and they worshipped Him. Isn't it a very ironic twist of the Christmas story that it is actually the pagans who recognize Jesus for who He really is? Herod knows and tries to kill. 
the wise men know, oh, sorry, the scribes know and ignore, but the wise men know and they prove themselves worthy of their name and they come before the throne of Jesus, before his manger, and, and they bow down and they worshiped him in that house that, where they found him. They worshiped him gladly. And these are really the three perspectives in which the way uh, the world views Jesus. Three ways in which the world sees Jesus. Some will always be hostile, others will always be indifferent, and there will still be those that will always worship. Sometimes you'll get these three responses in the same family, sometimes in the same workplace or in school, wherever it might be. After 2,000 years, Herod the Great has many grandchildren, and the scribes are still too busy to get involved, and the wise men are still seeking the Lord. The ultimate question this morning is to ask, how will you choose to respond to Jesus the Christ? Will you respond with hostility? Would we be indifferent or will we be like the wise men and fall to our knees, come to the altar and, and worship Him with everything we have? Amen. See, as I read Matthew 2, there's one fact that strikes me above everything else. And it's this, that all three groups of people, they had the same knowledge. They had the same understanding. They had the same basic facts. They all knew that there was a baby to be born in Bethlehem. And they knew who the baby was. They all had the same knowledge, but Herod tried to kill. The scribes ignored, and the wise men worshipped. <coughs> if information was enough to save you, then Herod the Great would have been saved. But information is not enough to save you. It's not what you know. It's what you do with what you know. And it's what you do with what you know, and then you discover who you know. But I know that many of us are here today, and I know many of us believe that Christ is the Son of God. And if you know that, that He is the Son of God, if you believe that He is the promised Messiah, that He is the Savior of the world, that He saved you from your sins, that He died on the cross in your place, that He rose from the dead, that He ascended into heaven, and that He's going to one day return and reign as the King of kings and Lord of lords. If you believe all of this, then do what the wise men did. Come to the altar and worship Him. Bow your knee at the throne of heaven and give Him everything that you can. As the hymn says, come let us adore Him. Come let us adore Him. Come let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. And so, church, can we just stand to our feet? I believe this morning that I'm looking at the third group of people. I'm looking at the wise men. I'm looking at those who are wise that have put Jesus and you've come this morning and you've honored the Lord and I believe that the Lord is going to honor you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And so, but right now, I just want us to take a moment to worship God, to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to do what is worthy of His name, to do what the wise men did for Jesus the Christ. We would not be hostile, we would not be indifferent, but that we would come 
and worship Him. Give Him all the glory and all the honor that is due to His name. So we're just going to worship with worthy of it all. And then I want to um, say a few more words. And then we're going to close this morning. Amen. Let's just worship together.
together and worship Him this morning. Let's honor Him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We worship You. We honor You. I just wanted to end off by asking the question, what is the remedy for a heart of hostility? What is the remedy for a heart of indifference? And the answer is repentance. The answer is surrender. The Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And that means to give up the throne of our hearts. See, the reason why Herod didn't go to Jesus, let me tell you why. It's because kings don't go to you. You go to the king. Herod was too proud of himself. He was the king of his own life. He became the king of his own heart. He would not bow before the king of kings and the Lord of laws. He was the king of his own life. But the Bible says in John 3 verse 37, it says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. What a gracious Savior we serve. That when we come to Jesus, when we come to the King of kings and Lord of lords, when we bow down and worship Him, He will by no means despise you or reject you or abandon you. He has never left you, nor will He forsake you. He will be there for you to shepherd you and to guide you. His hand is extended toward you. His hand is not too short to save you. And His hand is reaching out to you this morning. What is the remedy for a heart of indifference? It is repentance. The Bible speaks in relations, in revelations about those who had lost their first love. It's to gain their first love back through repentance. It's to remember the sacrifice that Jesus has made and to remember the price that He paid. So, Lord, I just thank you for each and every one of us here in, this, in your house today. And, Lord, we lay down our hearts before you. Lord, we surrender our rights. We surrender our ways. We surrender our desires. We surrender our fleshly longings. And we humbly bow before your throne this morning, Jesus. Father God, give us the eyes to see King Jesus in a new way this Christmas season. Help us to see Him as He really is. He is no longer a baby that was born in a manger. He was a lamb who was slain on the cross. But He is now the lion that has risen from the grave. He was a lamb that was slain on the cross. And he is now a lion that has risen from the grave. Yes, Father, give us feet like the shepherds to go swiftly to Bethlehem to worship. Father, give us hands like the wise men to offer him the best that we have. Lord, give us hearts to love him and to worship him and to adore him. Father, we give you all the glory, all the honor. Jesus, we worship you like the wise men this morning. And we honor you and we repent of our hostile ways. And we commit our hearts and our lives to you afresh and anew 
in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone with faith said, Amen. Amen and amen and amen. Well, God bless you, church. Let's just, uh, I believe that we've got.